This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking with Authors. I know where I am now. I'm your host, Erica Lance. With me today is... J.M. Paquette. And... Our guest today is K.M. Herkus. I said it correctly. Woo! Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking because, ah, okay. I am drinking um, 19 Crimes Banished. It is a dark red blend and it is an inexpensive yet consistently good wine. Thank you, makers of 19 Crimes. If you want to support our show, do let me know. Jen, what non-alcoholic filth are you drinking tonight? I'm drinking tea, but it's Irish cream tea. So it's almost alcoholic, but not. That's not even close to alcoholic. It's Irish cream. You just made that shit up. (laughs) Okay. KM, what are you drinking? I am drinking uh, something that I kind of made up on the spot because I was going to drink apple cider with bourbon and ginger liqueur, which is my usual drink, but we finished off all the cider. And then I was going to make a hot toddy because I learned what a hot toddy was, which was basically hot hot tea with whiskey and lemon. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I drank all the tea and didn't have time to make another glass of tea. So it's... um, uh, lemon, ginger, bourbon, and honey. Um, that sounds like you're going to be drunk really soon, and I'm proud of you. Okay. <laughs> the lemon is probably like something I would make. Look, I forgot anything that will distill down this alcohol. Go. <laughs> lemon, Pellegrino, and honey is good for a sore throat, and then you just add the bourbon to it, and it's delicious. So I love everything about that, actually. Okay, so. For our audience, tell us about what you write. I write science fiction and fantasy that uh, focuses on broken heroes and teamwork and solving problems through cooperation and communication, um, which is a very dry way of describing it, I suppose. Um, I like to see um, hope over adversity. and uh, relationships over action. And then I keep ending up writing books that have big, huge, massive action scenes in them. But I have characters snarking their way through them the whole time. So. That is brilliant. We were, we were just, we were cyber stalking you as we do. <laughs> and I love this because this is from your book, um, uh, Rough Passages. And I love this line, when every midlife crisis might cause a national emergency, getting older means more than going gray. Yep. I love that. That's the series I'm currently writing. And Rough Passages itself um, started as a novella. And then it ended up being um, a novel that's told in stories. So there's a there's a story arc but it's told through the stories of different people as they go along as they navigate this rough passage in their life um, from being normal to being superpowered or in the case of one character going from it being theoretical to okay at some point in the future I am going to or might roll into a power and life is not at all what I thought it was so yeah that's um 
that's the, uh, it's a lot of fun to write in that world. I'm going to tell you, because uh, it started off um, as the looking for something to read as writing often does. I'm looking for something to read and I love superheroes. I used to stand at the corner drugstore and read comic books on the rack and the nice ladies behind the counter would let me read all of them because I couldn't afford to buy any of them. Um, so I grew up with Fantastic Four and and um, I don't even remember what they were. They were like weird tales. They were all soldiers and ghost yeah. stories. Yeah, you remember those? Weird two? tales, yeah. Weird tales, yeah, I love those. So uh, I was looking for some, let me look for some superpower stuff and it's all teenagers get their superpowers, 20 year olds get their superpowers. It's always the finding what you're supposed to do. And I thought to myself, what would it be like to get a superpower now? Would it really be all that cool? Cause I'm still gonna have to pay the rent. I'm still gonna have to go to work. I'm still gonna have to take care of people. I'm not sure it would make all that much of a difference. It would totally at that point depend on what the superpower was and how well I could work it into my life. And that's how this whole uh, world started. That and hot flashes. So. <laughs> I'm telling you, I feel like hot flashes flame on. Like you literally yeah. think you can explode in flames mm -hmm. like the human torch. Yes. Yeah. Hence yeah. the cover image. I'm like, okay, so, you know, let's just go with that what if you actually could that would probably be kind of scary that would be very so. dangerous to your house it's funny because me and jen were a part of a short story collection and i want to do another one of these and it was called super useless and it was superhero <laughs> stories but with very useless superpowers so you weren't the cool people that could fly or whatever like one of the characters i wrote about could sweat glitter so she Ooh. ended up being a stripper because she really couldn't get a job anywhere else sweating glitter. But it wasn't about that. It was about her having to go to the DMV and they're challenging her driver's license picture because it was so reflective. Because <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's a, that is a, yeah, it's a beautiful concept. And for me, the, the it was this like, I, I didn't want to do a four color world. So I ended up looking into a lot of research as one does. Uh, and somewhere between 10 and 15% is the point at which um, either the, the, the Kevin Bacon or the, the uh, um, I'm losing what it's called, the when somebody knows somebody who knows somebody. Oh, the six you, degrees you, of separation. Six degrees, there we go. Yeah, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Um, somewhere between 10 and 15% of the population is where that kicks in. So somewhere everyone will know someone who, it's not, you know, over there it's you know someone it happened to so that was my all right i want about 10 percent of the population to have superpowers so i'm not going to say there aren't superheroes in this world because everything started in 1943 when overnight 10 percent of the population over the age of 40 abruptly rolled into their superpowers uh which was pretty catastrophic so after that on any given at any given point, about 10% of the population over 40 rolls into power. So mm -hmm. you have, at that point, since it started in the middle of World War II, you've got Superman, you've got Batman, but they're in comic books. Superpowers is the guy down the street who refuses to keep up with his required training and keeps flooding everybody's basement because he's a water caller. 
superpowers is your new doctor turns out to have fur and wears glasses and it's very disconcerting so i we live in big cities i don't think that should be disconcerting at all <laughs> this is true the, the, and again so it is and it isn't so um it's a world so, where teleporters have it made because fedex has a teleportation department yes has a teleportation department the postal service i love it i would like <laughs> this package there now that, that's actually really that's <clears throat> awesome okay so when did you start writing Uh, as usual, I have a long and complicated answer to that. I started storytelling when I was in my teens as a camp counselor. Uh, and also I was storytelling in, in pictures because I didn't want anybody to criticize my words. Uh, writing is actually difficult for me. Talking and telling and a story verbally is not that hard once I know what the story is and no longer flub up the punchline but actually writing the words down has never been easy. So I used to tell, pick, tell stories in pictures. And then when I was a camp counselor, I did storytelling. Then I finally got to college and one of my professors said, no, no, you can do this, write it down. So in college as part of a journaling project is when I first started actually writing down the stories and it kind of snowballed from there. The first no what? novel was written right after college and I threw that onto Wattpad so I would stop revising it because it's awful, it's horrible, it will never be good. And I've had people say, oh, it can't be that bad. I'm like, you can go to Wattpad and judge for yourself. And they come back and say, oh, yes, it's that bad. Oh. It is. It, it hey, is. at least you put it out there. Most of yeah. us take our original works and they're in a drawer somewhere or a file cabinet or we burned it outside and pretend like it never happened. I nitpick if I if I had it on my hard drive still if I it, now it's out I can say it's published and I can't fuss with it anymore mental games but what was your question Jen you started to ask something I was going to ask what happened to that first story that you wrote yeah but it's, I yeah it's on Wattpad it's called Legacy of Ashes it's uh it's interesting because I've had people who've read it all the way through, bless their hearts, and they've gone, oh, I can see this, this went into this story. Oh, that went into that story. So I guess it's kind of like whichever one of Shakespeare's plays, I think it's Titus Andronicus, that you look at and it has all of his other plays, except they are all there and so none of them work really well. Um, and so that's legacy. It's, it's, uh, it has um, zombies and aliens and post-apocalypse scenarios and and I blow up the quad cities and yeah it's but in terms of structure and plot and how to I this the, it's the novel I taught myself to write with so wow the, so I just go ahead no I was gonna ask what is your um first one that you put out that you were like I'm not throwing it out there I'm putting it out and I love this oh that was controlled descent okay which um, started off as being, I love the idea of, of a genius inventor, uh, but I hate Tony Stark. So what can I do with that? And I took my world that I had made for Legacy of Ashes and then destroyed by having aliens come and, 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 and end the world and said, what if it didn't end? Okay, so here we have the, um, 
post-breakdown America in the process of rebuilding. It's usually either right in the aftermath that when people do a dystopian or a, or a post-apocalyptic future, it's usually either way far in the past, something bad happened and now we have this new culture that's developed in that period. Or you have the something bad just happened and we're eating dog food and, and trekking across country with our, our band of ragged ragtag survivors. And I'm like, what about the founding father stage? So the, the stories of the restoration controlled the sense, the first one, it's all about um, the adventures of my genius inventor and his um, two mercenary sidekicks and his mathematician buddy and the administrative assistant who manages to keep them all from getting completely disastrously in trouble. Um, it's fun. She's the hero of the entire story and she's the only reason any of them survive. Um, <laughs> she's the Hermione I see the Hermione of the story yeah it, it didn't it, it didn't intend it to start off that way but uh, yeah she kind of is um, I think that's brilliant a lot of times people don't realize it's the people keeping it on the rails that make the people who are talking about it being on the rails look really really good yeah. Um, so yeah. So that was the. I just. I create. So I created a whole world for them to play in, and then just set them loose. So the control descent is is the. Um, Justin Wyatt is. Uh, a, an engineer. He's not a. He's not a scientist. He's an engineer, and he makes things happen. And he's had been lucky enough to to earn a lot of money off a couple of patents. One of his, uh, corporate. Uh, adversaries decides to take him out and they don't quite manage to murder him. You're going to get rid of a genius inventor who has a lot of money. You want to make sure you get it right because if you don't, he is going to come after you. So. I like it. I like it a lot. Okay. Yeah. So you're self-published though, right? Yes. I'm an independently published author. Okay. What made you choose that route? 18 years in the book business. Um, before before I, I mean, I was writing while I worked for Borders Books, um, but I worked for Borders Books from 1994 through the bitter end in 2011. Oh, wow. And um, I, I kind of sat, sat out the beginning of the self-publishing uh, wave because I was really busy working in a bookstore, recommending books and selling books and reading and reading and reading. But uh, I worked inventory, I worked ordering, we worked with buyers at the, at the uh, national and um, at the chain level. Uh, I trained people on how to sell books and how to set up bookstores um, and set up something like 30 bookstores with borders as a trainer. Uh, and that gave me a, a, a fairly solid understanding of how book publishing works from soup to nuts. And I know what publishers are looking for in a book. Controlled Descent doesn't have it. It took me hot longer to figure out an elevator pitch for Controlled Descent than it has for any book since. And not just because it was my first book, but because it's not an easy book to hook. It's and that you need a hook. You need um, something. You need something with punch. You need something that's immediate. That's what 
publishers were looking for in a thriller. And the, so wait, it's a thriller, sort of, but it's post-apocalyptic, not really, because things are pretty much back to almost where they are now, but, and a little be ahead of it in some ways and still a little behind in others. So it's got superpowers because the main character is pretty much nigh invulnerable and can go invisible. That's part of the plot line is him figuring out what's happened that's caused that to happen. Yeah, but why does it have superpowers? Because I wanted it to. <laughs> These are very difficult. They're, they're not what publishing, certainly not when it was not certainly not when this came out good heavens, seven years ago, what anyone was looking for. No, so. I agree. I mean, we talk about it on this show. So we have a publishing company. We started a publishing company last year, totally with the intention of helping to solve that problem. And we know we have a difficult task ahead of us, but part of what we're trying to do is all these little genre norms that they're boxes that publishers go, do you fit in our box? We already have three in that box. So you can't go in that box. Like we we need that out the window because you have amazing stories like this and then they don't get heard or told depending. I mean, it's great. You went the route you went, but not every author has the ability, courage, stamina. There's a list of things to go that route with their story. And not every author, uh, no author should have to. I mean, I am, I'm happy that I'm no longer having the same conversations with other independent authors that I was having even as little as three or four years ago, which would circle around topics like, does font matter? Yes, font matters. Does typography matter? Yes, typography matters. It's like, but traditional publishers are all evil. I'm like, nope. If somebody came up to me and said, here's a contract that I can live with and here's, and we'll take care of everything after you're done with the first draft, I would sign it so fast. I, the, no, and I agree. And it's something that has to be created because I think that, you know, even still some of the stigma with um, self-publishing is that, not everybody does those due diligence things and does the correct typesetting and does the correct editing and does all that mm -hmm. stuff that will make a good story. They just are like, I'm going to publish. And the problem is then you can't easily always weed out what is not good. And they don't realize they lose a reader. Like in two point, like mm -hmm. kind of to your point, if your story on what Pat is as bad as you were proclaiming it to be, you know, like it is. If that's your first thing and you threw it out there and that's the first book they buy off of Amazon in a series, they may not pick up two, three, four, you know? Right. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and we talk about that a lot because I, I think that there is, you know, knowledge. There's a whole knowledge that has to go with being good in anything. And as an author, that doesn't mean you're good at being a publisher, even for just your own books. Like there's right, a right. whole education that goes with publishing. Yeah, one yeah, of the one proudest, of the proudest uh, uh, moments that I had early on was um, being um, at DragonCon uh, in a in a booth uh, with a bunch of other independent authors. It's uh, called uh, Bard's Tower, and they it's kind oh, of oh, Alexi, 
Yes. I Alexi. love Alexi. Yes. yes, I do too. I adore Alexi. Alexi um, sends me guests all the time. Me and Alexi were like BFFs never met. It's good. I love him though. Oh, oh he is he is a hoot and a half. Um, and he runs a fabulous organization. And and I love I love um working at Bard's Tower because I get to it get it gets me to my book selling routes. I get to recommend everybody's books. Um, it's much easier to recommend other people's books than your own. I have, I have, I have found. Um, but anyway, so I was at Dragon Con and I was there with my books, there with my, with my convention hat on and my convention vest on. And uh, a gentleman came up to the booth and he picked up Controlled Descent. He picked it up and he did what I do with books, which made me wonder if he was either a bookseller or a librarian. You pick it up, you look at the front cover, you flip it over, but you're not looking at the blurb, you're looking at the barcode. And then you open it up and you look at the uh, copyright, the Indicia page. And he gives that a good long look. And then he looks at me and he looks at the book. He looks at, and he's looking at my badge. Like, so, so you, you wrote this. It's like, yeah, who published it? I did. <laughs> and uh, he's like, I was wondering, cause it, it's, it's professional. And he says, I was just, the only thing is Rose, I was wondering where the, where the um, colophon was. And I'm like, yeah, I don't have one yet. Cause the publisher has the little symbol that goes on the, on the spine of the book. And it, my artist didn't finish that in time for me to put it on the books before I published them and brought them to the con. So, but I, and I wasn't going to say, nope, I'm not going to sign off on this just because it doesn't have a little symbol. He's the only one who's ever noticed whether it did or did not have a publisher's colophon on it. But just to have somebody who's a librarian pick it up and go, yes, this is a real book TM was, was fabulous. So No, it is fabulous. And your covers are awesome. Yeah. And as somebody who um, does a lot of looking at covers and things like that, and we constantly are telling people that covers are a marketing tool and not... Like I, I, I say this, it's funny because there was a whole debate recently about the people on the covers of the book not looking like the people inside. And this is, I know, <laughs> rein it in. Jen, the author can rein at the crap sticks in. Strong feelings. <laughs> he has a lot of strong feelings. But the truth of the matter is people pick up the covers and that sells it, whether it's a little, little tile or it's what, you know, they get it in their hands. They look at the cover, they grab it. And then they look if usually to the blurb to see right. if you can grab them with the blurb and sometimes they'll open and read to a page to see if they want to random mm -hmm. usually some people first chapter but i think it's key because your book has to be grabbable it mm -hmm. has to be grabbable whether it's a click grabbable or off of a table grabbable somebody has to want to come pick it up and your covers are amazing and they're certainly grabbable so i wow. think that's phenomenal well, thank you. Um, it, and it's it's a it's a wide uh, variety pack of of different artists. I I have not uh, had just one artist, but across, across a seven year period, that would have be unlikely. And then when I was first starting off, I basically my goal um, starting off with independent, I I went with self publishing because. 18 years in the book business, the first book I had, I'm like, yeah, this is not something I could query this for 10 years. And my chances of finding an agent or a, 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 a submissions editor who's going to have any place for it are, are less than me being struck by lightning. What the heck? Let me learn about this cool self-publishing thing. And then of course I dove into that. And one of the 
traits of ADHD is that you tend to get very immersed in everything. So I ended up learning everything as I was going, but I decided that my book had to uh, not earn its way so much as um, what I get from this, I can use to pay for the next. What I get with that, I can use to pay for the next and, and grow that way, knowing that it's going to be a slow, slow roll. Um, so what I was willing to put into cover art for the first book, I got really lucky because that uh, really does um, accurately portray what controlled descent is because it has that look of um, a thr it has a it has a thriller suspense look to it, which is accurate. Um, they had there was a, a large blue planet in the sky on the first version, and I'm like, yeah, it's Earth, so maybe not the alien planetoid in the sky, but we worked that out. But then got to the next one, and then uh, Sharp Edge of Yesterday, the one that's coming out this month, is uh, is a is an original painting done by an artist that I know that I could actually pay for. So. And awesome. I love it. Can, how long does it take you to write a book? Uh, well, if you ask Bill, because we've been working on this one for well over a year now, too long. Um, we started on like, we started on Ghost Town in 20, late 2017 or early 2018. But then um, uh, that was in the middle of me trying to work on finishing up Sharp Edge, which got delayed. So about a year or under a year, if I'm actually sitting down, butt in seat writing, so. And how long are the books when you say a year? How long are the books that I'm writing? Yeah, um, when you say you write, it takes a year to write a book, how big is the book? Uh, well, Sharp Edge is the longest in about 120, 30,000 words. Uh, my, my native, uh, if I just sit down to write it, length seems to be about 100 to 110,000 words. So that would be in a year or less. Very cool. Yeah. Oh, you know what? We need to take a break. We're going to take a break okay. and we we're going to be right back. This is the voice of Drinking With Authors. You are at our commercial break and our commercial is... Hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. I don't get to say anything. Well, I'm curious as to, so what do you write? We're, we're back, by the way. Okay, okay. <laughs> so you can ask, which one are you asking? Her or uh, me? Both of you. We'll start with JM. JM, what do you write? I write cheesy fantasy romance. I like cheesy fantasy romance. I write vampires in D&D &D romance cheese. And you also have a new series. That's I have a new series with, with demons. Yeah, demons and vampires. More modern, contemporary. Romance. So contemporary uh this uh for this world or this this world the the other series is D D, so it's all medieval stuff mm -hmm. um fantasy world but this this series is contemporary modern city but there are monsters that they're in hiding nobody knows classic vampires can't go out in the sun stuff like that nobody has magic rings 
But uh, but romance, because I write only happy endings, because that's what I want to read. So I'm the horrible person. I would read the last page of your book to see if, if everybody lives. Ari Salvatore ruined her <laughs> on the Drizzit series, and she's been broken on this point ever since. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait, because Ari's supposed to be on the show, and I already told her with her present behavior, she's not allowed to co-host with me. <laughs> And RA comes on because she keeps blaming him for this. And I'm not going to have a podcast full of that. L. Brian deserves justice. Okay. Anyway. No, see, and that's why you're not going to host the podcast. I've already told you. So what do you, you, what do you write? I write under two different pen names. So I have Erica Lance and I write horror that doesn't have a happy ending ever. So right now I'm working on um, a series called the Florida hunting grounds and it's about different serial killers. So it's two books about a serial killer situation and then another two books about a different one. And it's Florida, so it's pretty realistic. And um, then I also write under Dahlia Lance and I write uh, humorous erotica. And so I have uh, the sequel to a, a series called... Um, the Apartment 23B series, and it's set in New York, and it's about terrible people, and I'm co-writing that with a friend of mine named Raymond Kloos. So the first book was called 72% Match, which was based on dating websites, matching people, and the next one's called It Was Meant to Be or Whatever. So (laughs) that's coming out, and I have the third in my Randy Michaels. So the first one was My Home on Whore Island, the second one was slumming it on Slutch Street, and the third one is called the Training of the Tramp. I love your titles. Thank you. I I do enjoy the titles. So that's that's probably going to be a five book series. But so I, I, I my friend of mine says you write horror and whore, and you straddle both. <laughs> so yes um but we we started our publishing company because of exactly kind of the stuff that you were running into is Mm -hmm. you know you can put your book out there but there's so many amazing voices that don't get published and they don't or they don't get published right they don't have the the skill set like to us authors should just be able to to your point write and throw the book at their publishing company and then kind of move on and go write something else and not have a ton of like, I need to get the typeset and I need to get this and I need to know how to upload to these 40,000 sites to be able to do this. And how do you get it into the library system and how much is copywriting and all this other stuff that Mm -hmm. um, makes it so authors who have amazing, phenomenal stories that are genre breaking don't get to be out there. And so that's kind of our premise. Yeah, it's, it is daunting and it's, it's, it's wonderful to see publishing houses like that um coming together and, and existing because yes. they yeah they really weren't there um in 2012 and 2013 when I started hunting around for them no and or, I think they're they're barely there there's a few other than us we call ourselves four horsemen publications because we're bringing the publishing apocalypse we have a excellent. goal we have a goal to be on the cover of Fortune magazine with really pissed off Amazon. That is my goal is Amazon showing up to buy us at some point and then I can say no. <laughs> so yes. that is that is my my goal. But um, let's talk a little bit about your process. So you talked a little bit about where you get ideas. What kind of writer are you? Are you a plotter? You talked about research. 
So I can already tell you go down the research rabbit hole. I bet it's very hard to pull yourself back from that. Yes, I, 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 I am very fond of research. I have done things like spent several hours researching the history of clothing in Malaysia and Indonesia because I just wanted the name of what you call it when guys wrap a a piece of cloth around their waist and it turns out there's like 20 different names and it's fascinating and I needed it for like two sentences on one page and I did four hours later you are now an expert (laughs) four hours later I know that that I don't know enough about any of this but I'm done looking um I am a discovery writer uh by preference uh I can I can write to an outline uh and I don't hate it um I would just I don't want, I can't write to my own outline, if that makes a sense. If someone says, I want you to write this story and they give me all the elements they want in it, I will have a fun time making that into a story. One of my favorite stories is one that came up because someone said, I want you to write a story that has a gargoyle, a banana and a library in it. Wow. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. I wrote a story uh, that ended up being about the nature of God and um, has all the different words. I used the I named the gargoyles after um, uh, uh, the words for different kinds of expletive symbols that they use in comics. <laughs> like, um, do you have um, an bang in there? Not expletive, but. Uh, now I'm trying to remember what I named them all. This was like, this was four years ago. Um, Hashtag but- loving the alcohol in your cup right now. Keep going. <laughs> and this um, is why I love drinking with fathers. Let's Brifitt. get people drunk yeah. and think of things. Briffitt and um, now I'm going to have to, I have to, I have to look it up now. Um, but while I'm looking it up, um, I'm, a, but I, if I, if I write my own outline, then I'm done. Um, which th- this is, this has been a, a this was working with Bill as a plot. Bill likes to plot things. So oh, yes. It. So he likes to plot. I want to discover. So we sat down and we kind of made up this very amorphous outline. So we know that we'll hit all the right beats for a mystery. And then he's very cool about me calling him up and saying, so, hey, guess what? Dina has a dog. Oh, does she? Yeah, I know we didn't plan on that, but she absolutely has to have a dog. He's like, okay, so is the dog going to be in the plot? I'm like, oh yeah, the dog's pretty integral to the plot. <laughs> but we'll figure it out. So, and, and we do. So, uh, so, but I am fully a discovery writer in that if I um, have to, if I have to follow an outline, the story won't get done because once I know how the story ends, I'm done with it. It's, it's no longer interesting. So, so how do you know when to call it quits then? Um, on a story, like, how do you know you've reached the, the real ending? Um, usually I, usually I, I know how I want it to start, which is usually never where it ends up starting, but I know kind of, I know where I'm going to jump into the story to start writing it. And I know how I want it to end. I have no idea how I'm going to get there. Interesting. Um, but I know more or less how I want it to end. Or I know what I what the climactic action will be. One of the two. 
Um, I think the reason that I end up doing that has a lot to do with how I started with writing down any storytelling, which was tabletop role-playing. I was a game master before I was a writer. <clears throat> Thacko, like how, how, how far back? Oh, 1985. Oh, you, did you have a box set? Eric had a box set. I had a box set with oh, you in the dice. Yeah. And then I, I played advanced D&D, but I could still parry the fireball with the mage if I grabbed him and put him out in front of me. Yeah. Oh, D&D was 1981, because D&D was in high school, and I am old. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, by the time I was doing Game Master, I never, I never was a dungeon master. I just played the games. Um, but for uh, when I was Game Mastering, I used GURPS. Because... Oh, GURPS! Oh! Oh! <laughs> Yes, it's, a, it's an absolutely awful system. It is um, the worst. How the hell did you do GURPS for so long? I did somewhere. It. Uh, well, there there is an answer for that, and that it is somewhere near the end of the basic rule book, where it basically boils down to: if there's any part of this game that you don't like, just don't use it. So it was very easy to create a character in. It as was long the, as you ignored their point system, which we I did. was going to say, I, I took four hours to build the character because it was forever. Yeah. And then we played and we had a battle with hobgoblins for two and a half hours. And I'm like, I literally got up with my gaming group and I'm like, I'm out. I'm yep. done. Yep. Not going to do this anymore. Yep. yep. Um, no, we, uh, we, we could make up characters and we could make up brand new characters from scratch in less than an hour because I just told people, make up your characters. And once you ignore the points and trying to make all the point, once you ignore all the arithmetic, it was very easy to make a character up in because you, I, I just told them you have to take this, you have to take at least three disadvantages. You have to take at least two advantages, pick whatever skills you think work. Um, and for the stats, if I don't like them, I'll say no. So it basically it boiled down to, it was, it was the true cooperative storytelling aspect of role-playing with a rule system that I could ignore all the parts of I didn't want and they couldn't, and no, nobody else who had memorized the entire rule book could tell me, no, I couldn't do that as the game master. This was also, I was, for the first two, three years that I was running it, I was the only woman in the group and, um, we had lots of discussions about how men and women deal with being in a role-playing group. And um, they did not believe that they interrupted me all the time until I showed them the tally sheet that I was keeping. Wow. Um, so. I, I, talked, I talk about this too, because um, me and Jen are some of the OG nerds too. Like mm -hmm. I played Dungeons and Dragons in um, 1988 is actually when I really got into it, but I had the box set played Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. I, I played it all. I'm, I'm not going to discuss some of the latest versions. <laughs> I hate. But um, we played before it was cool. I was one of the few females. Like I was lucky the first group I was in had one other female that actually knew how to play. Because a lot of times guys would invite their girlfriends to the game who had no idea how to play. And they always wanted to be some fae pixie bullshit princess thing and didn't mm. know and would take forever in the game and drive me completely nuts. Cause I'm like, 
this person doesn't know the rules and we're sitting here and you're helping her roll a die because she can't figure out how to use her magic glitter fucking wand. It was the most annoying thing in the entire universe. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> I, we well, met through gaming, me and Eric. Uh, okay. We did. Okay. Well, but Jen actually could play because I remember when she just showed up and I was like, oh, it's a female gamer. And that's how I felt at that point, which was now 20 years ago. But the last female gamer I'd played in a game with, literally, the guy, the DM, brilliant DM, describes the scene. And he's like, there are six identical sarcophagi. And there's a cold mist on the floor. And so we're, of course, like those of us that are like, okay, we're not walking in there. Anyway, she goes, which one is the leader coffin? They have labels on them. I'm like, you think it has a sign that says, here's the leader? There's six identical sarcophagi. Yeah, but which one has the leader in it? Why am I here? Why am I, literally, why am I here right now? That, yeah. Yeah. But so, so that's, yeah, that's where my discovery writing comes from, though, is the just being in the situation from being on the other side of the screen where someone's asking you, but so where's the leader sarcophagi or my favorite? Uh, there's a, a leak in the fountain. Well, we try to stop the leak. Well, you take 20 points damage. There's a leak in the fountain. This was this was a game that I was told about. It's It wasn't a leak. It was a lich. So, yeah. Big difference, they're, they're, but the whole the whole party is trying to figure out why they're taking damage from the leak in the fountain. <laughs> but, yeah. but gaming is great because it makes you think on your feet. So it's interesting yes. how much that influences you as a writer. That yeah. otherwise, like, do, did you ever use the pre-made um, adventures, or did you always just no. create your own? Because that would be I, like outlining, right? <laughs> right, it would be like outlining, and I had no interest in it. I I was using GURPS because even when I started doing game mastering, I was already crossing genres. So I ran a campaign for several years that was basically um, urban fantasy before urban fantasy started being a fiction genre, because it was a bunch of people whose patron yanked them out of their lives and then sent them after supernatural events and had them track down supernatural objects and stop supernatural bad guys mm-hmm. uh, but this was in 1985 so, so basically you wrote the supernatural show and didn't get credit <laughs> for it you no know, they went very different directions with it um than i did um yeah these, well these, you wrote uh, the first three seasons of the supernatural show <laughs> and not yes. the latter 12 yeah. seasons yeah, yeah. And then all of my players managed to get themselves in trouble with the Yakuza and got themselves killed off. So we decided to write as zombies were in at that point. So we decided to write a zombie campaign. And that's the campaign that eventually ended up being Legacy of Ashes, which is awful, and gave me my world set up for the future. So that I now write in. So besides Legacy of Ashes, have you ever written any of your other campaigns? I can ask this because Jen actually written a four book series or 3.5 book series however you look at it and it was based on a D campaign that we played yeah i started and um i i did start i so i have about half to two-thirds of a novel set in my 
fantasy campaign world, which is a very old, old, old world that's slowly dissolving into chaos around the edges. So it's actually a round world because it's as the sphere of the world goes, gets dissolved into chaos, the world keeps contracting and getting smaller and all the magic keeps intensifying. So pretty much everybody has magic. Uh, and it's a lot of, it was a, it was a fun world to run a campaign in. Um, especially in GURPS where I didn't have to figure out a monetary system or a combat system and could just say things like, nope, nobody here has ever invented ranged weapons other than spears. And then watch all the guys cry because they couldn't have bows and arrows. But <laughs> I, I live to disappoint. The lordly power! Yeah. With payback for all that interruption. Yeah. Did, did you ever put your uh, companions in your stories? Did they turn into characters at any point? Uh, yes, I have. I have several. Many of my NPCs have ended up in stories with other names and, and other backgrounds, but in my head, they're the same character because the character is the same. And I just wanted them to be that, that character. Um, but especially since I tend to break my characters. So. Do you ever write um, people in your real life? So mm. I know this from experience that you can be written into a story and maybe not the most flattering light, oh. just saying. Um, so have you ever written any people that you know into stories? I have not. I, I, uh, several friends I know do that, and I have recognized people I know in author friends' books. Um, but I, it's, it's just not something I've ever done. The characters I create, I, they are just characters who they're real people to me. So I, I can't write somebody who's real into a story because the story is about real people who just don't happen to exist in the real world. Um, it's, it's tempting. That is pretty awesome the way you just said that. Yeah, that was well put. Okay. Very well put. Very well put. Yeah. Do you, um, when you, where do you get your inspiration? I mean, obviously we talked about the flame on, but um where do you find a lot of the inspiration outside of the gaming and stuff? Do you do a lot of people watching? Oh yeah, that's, I, I, I worked retail for over 20 years. So I got lots and lots of people watching in and uh, I now work in a public library. So again, I get to watch people go by every day. And let me tell you, getting kids their first library cards is got to be one of the best jobs on the face of the planet because they're so happy to be the, it's like, here's the world for you. And then they run off and go immediately go get books. So while we're at it here, we should just make a plug for those of you listening. Libraries still exist. Even though <laughs> some people have forgotten that's the case. They still exist. They have books you can check out, many of them. Take your kids, take your family, go to an effing library and get books that way. You don't have to buy them all off of Amazon. The cool thing about a library is you can pick up a book and if you don't like it, you can return it and get more books. And you don't have to feel bad about paying for it. This is a vital piece of our entire existence that people have gotten. I had somebody say to me the other day, there are still libraries and I wanted to just smack them. It was at work, so it's inappropriate to do that, I've discovered, yeah. especially from over HR. You're not supposed to hit people, guidelines, but I wanted to. 
I have students who are like, wait, live, like, it'd be really cool if there was a place where we could, like, read books but not have to buy them. Like, like a library? <laughs> There's this magical place that really is. Let, let us introduce you to the magical place where you don't have to pay for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, working in a bookstore, and I, I live in the suburban suburbs outside Chicago, so um, there are all these high schools And every year the high schools would assign summer reading, which the fact that I think that summer reading and then assigned reading and book reports kill people's love of reading, but that's a whole different topic. Um, But people would come into the bookstore and they would have a list of six books that they needed to read. And they had, and they were like, we need to buy all six of these books. I'm like, have you tried the library? The library? Like, yes, you don't have to, because they were coming there. I don't want to buy these books. Oh my God, this is going to be so expensive. I was like, yes, it is. Have you tried the library? And the answer was always no. Harper Lee doesn't need your money right now. <laughs> I'm sure that, that, that Harper Collins, you know, yeah. would, love, would love for you to do it, but uh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge library advocate even before I worked for the library I was. Um, and now that I work for a library and now that I know how uh, critical libraries are to success as an author, uh, it's, a, it, it's, it mean, it's a huge thing when a library says, yes, your book, you independent author you. We're not Do you have just... your book in your library? Yes, uh, because the reader's advisory librarian came downstairs to the registration desk where I work and said, so, Karen, they tell me you wrote a book. Yes, I did. Yeah. And it's published. Yeah. Why don't we have your book? I, I, I published it myself. It's like, but you're a local author. We should have your book. Like, alrighty, here's the information. And That's awesome. yeah, so that was, that was kind of a watershed moment for me in the whole acknowledging my identity as a as a, okay, I, I wrote real books. It's, this is not my, I've written my book, I've published it. I know there are people who will love it, but maybe 10, maybe 50, maybe 100. Um, it's a lot more than that now. So that is it. amazing. Let's talk a little bit about your fans. So you talked about going to Dragon Con. Uh-huh. I love Dragon Con, by the way. Bring a plethora of costumes when I go to Dragon Con. I actually have met several authors, like I met Dan Wells and stuff like that at Dragon Con. Mm -hmm. I did meet um, Laurel K. Hamilton last time I was there, and I was nice to her about things anyway. (laughs) I think she needs a better editor. But I've read all of her books, and I've purchased all of them, so I can say that with vigor that I've supported her writing. Um... What was it like meeting your fans? Did you have any fans come up to you go that I've read your book and you sign and stuff like that? How did that go? Um, That was, I I was not ever expecting to have fans, but when I came back to Dragon Con the second time and people were, so is the new book out? I felt, it's like, I am a real author, TM. So yeah. Or did you say, no, not yet? Uh, at the time, it was no, not yet. Um, I started uh, I started Sharp Edge in 2017. My husband was in cancer recovery at the time, 
and that was a long and um, rocky road. And right about the time that we we were that I was stopped, I could I could put off take off the caregiver hat and put back on the writing hat. Uh, there was a bunch of family upheaval followed by we're going to actually buy a house. So that was the lost year of buying a house. I love my I love I love the fact that I have an actual office and and uh, it was much better to go through COVID pandemic times in a house that had more than 800 square feet uh, yes. with both of us working at home. So was all to the good but that's that was a long stretch of time so so between the two years there was I, I didn't have a new book for people but they got excited and bought other books anyway they're like oh well maybe I'll just pick up the other series because it starts off people either want the oh this is interesting middle-aged superpowers where everybody has the world or oh I, I like thriller suspense with a little bit of, of a romantic subplot and I like this this near future stuff they don't usually cross uh naturally I, and then I do they end up loving it they, but and then they all and then they all end up buying all of them so that means they like the writing so that makes me happy um I think the highest compliment I've been paid was by a fan who came up on day three of Dragon Con and they just said, I just had to stop by the booth to let you know that I bought Rough Passages yesterday and I sat in my hotel room last night and read it from beginning to end. And I'm looking at him and I'm looking as like, but this is Dragon Con that I can't imagine a, a, a more heartwarming compliment than you read my book at Dragon Con. That's so awesome. that was kind of amazing. That is truly amazing. Have you had anybody role play as your characters yet? No, I have not. Um, I've had somebody write me an original Filk song. Very cool. I, and, I'm now going to put the call out to anybody listening that <laughs> some role playing of characters is necessary at Dragon Con next time she is there. I insist on photos because I think that would be amazing. I think I, I would love to, I would love to see people cosplay my characters. Um, but yeah, several of my characters are in the 10 to 12 foot tall range. So that that's going to be a trick. Um, it should be a challenge yeah. accepted for people. That's, that's true. If, if you're true. a true cosplayer, I'm a cosplayer. You do, you do what it takes to be those characters. Yep. yep. That's and, the thing. You go all out. You don't Yeah. I've, yeah. I, yes. You yep. do what it takes. I do a Gaston character from Beauty and the Beast. That wool jacket weighs like almost a hundred pounds. It's it's accurate time period. Wow. Literally, it weighs like sixty pounds. It's ridiculous. I wear it. It's fine. It's Florida. <laughs> yeah, if you're a cosplayer. You do the cosplayer thing. I insist. Okay. So we have to wrap up this version of the podcast. Tell people how to find you and not your home address. I always have to say that. Somebody did that on the podcast once. Not a good idea. No. So. so I am on Facebook um, as KM Herkus. I am on Twitter as KM Herkus. I am on uh, Instagram as KM Herkus because that makes it easy. Uh, and Herkus is a pretty unique last name. So pretty easy to find. Uh, I have a website. Uh, I'm Don Rigger Publishing. So it is Don Rigger Publishing or Don Rigger.com. 
um, where I have excerpts from my books and, and links to pre-order my new book, Sharp Edge of Yesterday, which is coming out at the end of this month. So I am on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles and everywhere books are sold. That is awesome. And you have artwork on there too. I have artwork on my website. Aha, you have been up there. So you have been I told you we were cyber talking. <laughs> I'm not kidding. We do this. This is a skill we have. I love getting, I love getting character art. I find it very inspirational because I am not, uh, a, I'm not traditionally visual. So I, I don't visualize. I know what my characters describe like, but I don't necessarily know what they look like. So I describe them to an artist and they make it happen. And I have new character art for Sharp Edge. It's very exciting. I should be getting more of it this week. I love, and, and uh, I, have a, I work with an artist named Daniel Govar. He is brilliant. He is amazing. And he captures the spirit of the characters incredibly well. So that is that. awesome. And um, I also think that this is a call out to any fans out there who are artists to send you some art based on their interpretation of what they're reading, because I think that is pure heaven. So I'm going to do the call out for that for you too. Awesome. So. Yeah. I have it. That's on my, I have a list of non-standard author achievements. Um, so for my author achievement trophies, because I'm it's like, make your first million dollars. No, no. I would rather have the first time somebody cosplays your character. That's up on the list. Um, but I have fan art as has not been done. I've had fan fiction and I've had fan music, but not fan art yet. No, I, I, so we need fan art. This is a call out fan art. I insist if you have a problem, you make sure to get it to her. That's all I'm going to say. I know a ton of you out there are tumblers. I've seen you. Let's get some fan art going. Okay, you have been thoroughly amazing to have on this podcast. I love all of your inventiveness. It is amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me on. You are you guys are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people to talk to. So I was very nervous and, and I must nervous now. That might have something to do with the bourbon, but it's supposed to be sure amazing people. So thank you so much. I will take that with the bourbon. Hashtag plus bourbon. <laughs> I will take that. This has been Drinking with Authors. I have been your host, Erica Lance. Sam Paquette. And we'll see you next time.